you won't find them in the club Cause they are all up in the pub They're our favorite nerds, they're the Twisted Sisters You may like them, you may not But you should probably give them a shot They have the greatest words, they're the Twisted Sisters What's up, turds? Hey! So, today, it is just Haley and me. <laughs> um, Amanda is still on her way back from being in Indiana and visiting a bunch of the turds there. And I think she met up with all of the past turds, too. Actually, she did. Um, she was on the uh, opening part of their episode this week, or this last week. So, check that out. Amanda and Christopher, the Baloo Bears, were... Um, on the opening part of the Pastor's podcast this week. So now we know Amanda will ditch a sister's recording to be on a Pastor's recording. And right? everyone should give her shit about that on Twitter. That's at Polly NMD Amanda. It sure is. Yes. <laughs> Do that. Um, okay. So, Haley, what are you drinking today? I am drinking, I guess, a mule that I've made, but I drink mules with whiskey instead of vodka because... Vodka is not, not that great, but whiskey is like the tears of an angel or the water of life, which is what the word whiskey is actually derived from. Um, so, yeah, so I just have like I made it with Bushmills because that is my kind of whiskey. If anybody's wondering, like, what should I send Haley to drink? It's always Bushmills. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm drinking a mule. What about you? Um, so I am having trouble, uh, typing these hashtags because I've already finished my, um, old stock ale. Uh, and what so percentage is that? It is 12%. Uh, so Becky's already kind of two sheets to the wind or four sheets to the wind or whatever it is. Becky um, is shwasted. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Old stock ale, um, 2017 from North Coast Brewing. Um, I got it from Mindy Duncan, who uh, sent oh, cool. um, some of these to the pastors a few weeks ago. Um, we had a turd uh, cookout here in Oklahoma City a few weeks ago, and we just, like, all brought beer and cider, and then whatever was left over, we divided up. So I got this in it, and it is super good. What kind so. of beer is that? Um, let me see here. Mm, 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 mm. I don't know if it says. It does not say anywhere. Um, it's just called Old Stock Ale. Okay, so it's an ale. I yeah. tried, like, a home-brewed beer this weekend mm -hmm. that, like, blew my mind. It was, I yeah. think, how did my sister-in-law describe it? Like, it tasted like a stout, but had the mouth feel of an ale. Okay. So it tasted like a stout without having to feel like you drank an entire loaf of bread. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Which, I love a stout, but it's, that's a it's lot. It's so heavy. It's, yeah. It's so much. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was crazy. I didn't know it was homebrewed, but, like, someone just handed me a bottle because I was at, like, a housewarming party. Um, mm -hmm. and I tried it and then I was looking at the label and I was like, there's not really like a brewery listed on this. And then we realized that one of the guys there 
it's like he had brewed it. Wow. Um, and I don't know him, but I know his girlfriend, so I'm going to have to try to get some more beer. <laughs> so we might need to get you that nail polish that reacts when they have, like, date rape drugs in it. It was because, sealed like, and had just... a label on it. and Okay. It was a party of, like, ten people. Like, when I say it was a party, <laughs> it was a housewarming party for someone that I swim with. Uh-huh. And the thing about parties with swimmers is, like... We go hard and we party for real, but we're done by like 10 o'clock at night um, because we we get up real early to swim. Yeah, I was in theater in high school, Uh um, and so it's probably kind of similar. Probably. Well, I don't know. At least, uh, well, okay, I will say this. Well, it doesn't matter now. I'm an adult, so, but we didn't drink at the the theater parties in high school, at least not my my group anyway, Um, but... I would say adult, like, people on Broadway, they probably don't, like, stop at 11. <laughs> so. No, probably not. But you need There's your sleep, you know? That's true. Because you, you have a show the next day. And also, so. like, as far as my thing where, like, we're adults, but we still stop yeah. relatively early. But then it's, like, if you look at, like, swimmers that are famous right now, like Ryan Lochte and Michael Phelps, they aren't stopping at 11 either. I mean, no, Michael Phelps is, is sober now. Um, but you know, previously to that, when he was getting like several DUIs, Oh, for real, by the way, I love Michael Phelps. I'm glad he's sober. Watching him in Rio was like a transcendent experience. Mm -hmm. The Rio Olympics were like two of my favorite swimmers came out of retirement to swim in Rio, Uh Michael Phelps and Dana Vollmer. Oh yeah. Okay. Who I was on the same team as when I was a kid. No. What? That's cool. Fort Worth, baby. Um, she was older than I was and obviously like much faster than I was and never in the same group, but I always loved like watching her swim. And when she went to Athens, she was like 16. So she was still on our team. She hadn't gone to college yet. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it was very exciting for all of us, but yeah. Um, so then she is, she's quite a bit older than you. She's like five years older than I am. Wait, what year is Athens? Oh, that's 2004. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. 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 right. Yeah. So, yeah, she's like, she was like four or five years older than me. Um, okay. So, yeah, but uh, then the Rio Olympics, because I, both of them, I thought, retired after London. And I was like, I got to find new swimmers to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, not at the same time, but they both started swimming again, like about a year before Rio. And yeah. that was so exciting <laughs> for me. Yeah. And I real. watched, like, I watched all of the, tr- I watched every moment of the U.S. Olympic trials. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I watched all of the swimming of the Olympics. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm a nerd. <laughs> Same. Just not about swimming. Though I do love watching swimming, too. Um, oh, I love the Olympics. Yeah, I just me too. everything about the Olympics. Oh. Well, I'm like, I love soccer, but I don't watch it like you do, so. Oh, that's true. We balance like that. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I have season tickets, so, you know, I'm kind of one of those people. <laughs> season tickets to, uh... To what? a level two, to, to a second tier soccer team. Okay. So, yeah. So, it's not MLS, but we're but, second tier. like, also, the MLS, meh, Yeah. You might as well watch I tier agree. two. I would, it's I would watch women's soccer before I watched any MLS soccer. Was that is oh. that what is that what is the abbreviation for that here? 
the for women's soccer? Yeah, is it the WLS or is there is it called something else? I would have to look that up. I'm not sure. I don't know, but anyway, the Red Stars play here. Okay. Yeah, we we just have a second tier men's team so far, as far as I know. We have an MLS I'll team. I can see if we have a women's team. I think they're called. I think our MLS team is called the Flames. Mm-hmm. Um, because people still name all their teams after the Chicago fire <laughs> or are they oh. called though? They're literally called the Chicago fire. I think after mm-hmm. the great fire that destroyed our entire city. Oh, uh, because of course, <laughs> I mean, it's a significant moment. Um, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what they're called, but I don't follow men's soccer. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't follow MLS men's soccer, but anyway. Okay. So, moving along. Yeah. What's your, what's your fangirling for today? Okay, I debated long and hard about this, but uh-huh. I'm going to talk about a podcast that is not our podcast. Okay, cool. Um, so, <clears throat> sorry, I'm choking on all the whiskey I've been drinking. Um, <laughs> uh, so, a while ago, my favorite podcast network, which is the Earwolf Podcast Network, put all of their episodes older than six months behind a paywall. Oh yeah. And it was a shitty one called the howl app, which doesn't exist anymore because they merged with stitcher and stitcher premium. So now everything's still behind a paywall, but it's behind the stitcher premium paywall. So Mm -hmm. I was like, now they have more stuff. That's not just earwolf because the way they merged, I'll bite the bullet and pay like $30 a year to have all of my old podcast episodes without having mm-hmm. to always keep them downloaded on my phone. Because it's basically like if I ever erase them, I was going to lose them forever. And I oh, have yeah. a very carefully curated playlist of old episodes going back to like 2008. Uh-huh. Don't hate. It makes me uh-huh. happy. Um, yeah. No hating here. <laughs> just awe. <laughs> so this amazing internet user basically. So the problem with Stitcher Premium is that they don't put out RSS feeds. So oh, uh-huh. you can't use them in other podcast apps. Uh, of but course. a wonderful internet angel made a website that creates feeds for you. Ooh, cool. So if you go to his site and you type in your Stitcher premium login, it generates all your RSS feeds for it. Oh, wow. Cool. So I bought it and I got through his app and I set it all up so it's like all on my phone again and I was able to discover this podcast that has actually almost always been behind a paywall but it's a really old podcast called Doug Loves Movies uh-huh. um, it started in like 2007 and he's always had like only his most recent 20 episodes are available and the rest are behind a paywall mm-hmm. so I've been listening to like really old episodes I think right now I'm up to like 2012 because I've been listening for like the past six weeks Um, but it's a super fun, really early into podcast pod into podcasting podcast. So that's my fangirling Uh is Doug loves movies. Um, and it's like, it's this, this comedian, Doug Benson, who's known for creating the documentary super high me, which is like about pot smoking. Um, and I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. Yeah. So he has guests on and they talk about movies and then they play this stupid game called the Leonard Malton game where he (laughs) will tell them he'll read from the Leonard Malton movie review app and it'll, it's like, uh, what year a movie was made and like a few very vague facts about it. And then you have to bid like, Oh, I need to hear this many actors that were in it before I can name the movie. Hmm. 
Okay. Um, and so it kind of goes through. But because it started so long ago, it's really fun to listen to people on that podcast who are now super famous and would never dare record a podcast that's actually like a live show that's free at UCB on Tuesday nights in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Um, so like John Hamm is on it all the time and he oh, is wow. great at the Leonard Malton game. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Michael Sheen has been on it quite a bit recently and he uh-huh. is really funny, surprisingly, and really great at the Leonard Malton game. Uh, Sarah Silverman is on a lot. Scott Ackerman, uh, the members of Garfunkel and Oates, uh, oh, Ricky yeah. Lindholm and Kate Micucci, they're on it a mm-hmm. lot. Um, Sam Levine from Freaks and Geeks. Recently, I came across a couple episodes that Chris Evans was on, and he got oh, wow. uh-huh. super drunk and told Leonard Malton, the actual Leonard Malton, to quote-unquote, name it bitch about a movie. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, so good. it's great. So basically, like, if you get Stitcher Premium, which is either, I think it's like $7 a month or you can pay by the year and you save a little bit of money, mm-hmm. um, you get all of the, like, all of the back catalog of Earwolf podcasts. So you get all of Comedy Bang Bang, How Did This Get Made, Never Not Funny, Who Charted, mm-hmm. etc. But mm-hmm. you also get some other podcasts that weren't always on the Earwolf app, like Doug Loves Movies that's super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great. I'm just, I'm loving like going back and discovering all these old podcasts, especially when I'm overwhelmed by like news events. It's been nice to just go back to like 2012 and listen to, um, like a 12 guests of Christmas episode where 12 guests play this stupid Leonard Malton game for four hours until like John Hamm wins. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, spoiler back to alert, 2012 back to the good old days. <laughs> Yeah, so it's been really fun. Um, and so if anybody wants to get into these podcasts, you can hit up Stitcher Premium, check them out, message me on Twitter, and I'll tell you a, a guide to getting started on Comedy Bang Bang or How Did This Get Made or whatever podcasts are behind that paywall because I keep very carefully curated lists of like the best ofs throughout the year. They're in my mm-hmm. Google Drive account. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Like oh, yeah. a good Enneagram 5. <laughs> Is that an Enneagram yes. 5 thing? I just thought it was a loser thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, wanting to keep keep information and being able to refer back to it. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I will, like, make lists for my friends. They'll tell me, like, oh, I really like this one episode of this podcast. And I'm like, great. Here's the next five things you should listen to. I think you'll really like it. Um, <laughs> it's It's all part of my evil plan to get everybody into the Womp It Up podcast family. Um, which is how I, which is how you will end up if you follow my guide, but it's still worth it. (laughs) Nice. I I, I may need to, I may need to get into this guide because, um, I need some new ones. I'm so so ready to Especially comedy. Okay. Awesome. Comedy has been helping me lately. (laughs) Yeah. A lot. Yeah. I think I may need it because I'm looking at my list. I'm like, okay, so that one's kind of a news one. That one's kind of a theology one. That one, uh-huh. that one's investigative. Okay, I need something. <laughs> oh, yeah, so. that's like I listen to the pastors because Michael followed me on Twitter, and I started listening to you guys right not right when you started because I didn't start listening until to the pastors till after Twist, uh, Twisted Sister started. But uh-huh. I listened to those two podcasts and usually ex evangelical. But other than that, I don't do theology podcasts. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like all comedy all the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I definitely well, need to add some comedy. Okay. So yeah. We'll what talk are you fangirling about? Um, I am fangirling about. Um, so tomorrow is a solar eclipse that is going across the United States. Um, and I am not in a, um, actually neither one of us are in an area that has a totality, but I get about 84% here in Oklahoma city. I think I got 87. Okay. So, um, so still pretty dang good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this eclipse is taking a path across the United States, um, from, like the Northwest and it's like sweeping through, um, Oregon and like Wyoming and stuff here. And then it's just going kind of like a diagonal, um, from Northwest to Southeast of the continental United States. Yeah. It goes like near St. Louis ish. Uh huh. Yeah. It goes over like North Kansas city, Mm -hmm. um, around St. Louis ish. And then, um, a little South of St. Louis, I think, but yeah. Mm hmm. I have and, a family member who owns a winery a little way south of St. Louis, so she's having, like, a lunch thing there because she'll be in the, like, total solar eclipse path. Yeah. I can't go, but... Yeah. yeah. I was contemplating going to Kansas City and um, hanging out with Joy Warner, who lives um, in the Kansas side of Kansas City. Like, she mm-hmm. lives in one of the suburbs in the Kansas side. She said, you can come... Like, if you come up, you can, like... Watch it from my, from my yard with the, with my friends. I'm like, oh, that'd be so great. But, um, one of my coworkers apparently has made a, uh, an eclipse viewing camera or whatever it is. So like has cobbled together something. Um, so either I'm going to do like, we're going to go up onto the, the top of our parking garage and watch it. Um, cause we have a good, so it's going to be around about 1 PM here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a good like Western view from our parking garage. It's on the West side of our building. So like we have good, like straight up and Western view. So it shouldn't be a problem either that, or I'll go to like, we have, um, the myriad gardens, which is a, um, a botanical gardens with a, um, the, what's called a crystal bridge. It looks like a tin can on its side, but mm-hmm. it's glass. So like it, it, so, like, if a tin can was made out of glass and put on its side, that's what it looks like. And it has, um, inside it has different um, ecosystems. So, like, there's a tropical ecosystem, there's, like, a desert ecosystem, and then there's, like, something else, too. Um, so, it's, like, a, it's a greenhouse, really, is what it is. But they have, like, different cool. ecosystems in there. And um, it's it's really awesome. So if you're ever in Oklahoma City, like they've done a lot of updating to it all and like renovations. And so the whole grounds of the Myriad Gardens um, in the last like two or three years, they've really like upped their game and they have like a band shell there. They have um, just all sorts of things. Um, so it's definitely worth a visit when you if you're in Oklahoma City, see the uh, Myriad Gardens. Um, scientists are having a big party there. Can yes. I ask you a question? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I've stared directly at the sun a time or two in my life. Why mm-hmm. am I not allowed to look at the solar eclipse head on when most of the sun is going to be blocked anyway? Um, so 
don't quote my answer, even though this is going to be on the internet and available <laughs> for everyone for all eternity. But I think it probably has to do with, um, because it is being um, covered up, I think it's probably an intensity thing. So when you have the whole sun, um, it's spread out. The, the light is spread out. But when you're covering it up, like it's um, less of a an area mm-hmm. that would be the same the same amount of light from a smaller area so the intensity would go up is my best but wouldn't guess. it be less light from that smaller area or are you seeing the same amount of light i i'm not sure okay so becky's googling this right now Haley can't google because her internet doesn't work this is true Haley and she's is currently skyping right becky from her telephone <laughs> yeah i'm gonna use all my data for the month right now so you're welcome everyone listening to this podcast right now (laughs) i suffered greatly to bring my voice to you and i know what everybody wanted was to hear my voice brought to the people right um yes my that's like my grandfather and i were talking today and he was saying like as he looked it up because we were wondering how often there are solar eclipses and he was saying on the earth they're, like, a little less frequent than once every year or two. But it's just because mm-hmm. the path doesn't cross you very often. Right. That it's such a big deal. Because I th- feel like I remember there being a partial one when I was younger. Because um, we went to, like, a parking lot near our house to look at it. And we had to look through film strip. Uh-huh. Like, my parents and our friends' parents gave us, like unexposed film strip to like put over our eyes and look through. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I'd never heard of doing it that way. Yeah. I don't know why. And also like it could have been a lunar eclipse. I was like 10. I don't really remember. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a bit. Yeah. Um, I just remember like driving to that parking lot and like getting our film strip arranged. Uh huh. Oh Yeah. What is your okay. Google telling you? So I bet it is. Um, okay, so it says here that um, the retina can handle indirect sunlight just fine. But um, think it says, but think of what happens when you hold a magnifying glass up to the sun. It focuses light intensely enough to start a fire. So, like, um, when the sun is out normally, uh-huh. um, it's indirect. Why? But when we, um, so, okay, let's see here. Okay, let's see here. This one might not be the best thing here. My type five fingers are itching to Google this. I know, right? And my computer isn't working. <laughs> it's been a tough evening. See, that one doesn't... <sighs> okay. So here's a website called sciencing.com. So this is totally going to give me the right answer. <laughs> um, okay. So, so 
Alfred that ever said to exist. Okay. Okay, so. Okay, so it says here, looking at the sun during an eclipse is more dangerous than looking at full sun. The darkness mm. that accompanies an eclipse can override the natural tendency to squint and avert the eyes, increasing the amount of ultraviolet radiation landing on the retina, making it more likely that you'll sustain eye damage. Okay, so like, so oh. if you, so when you look into the full sun, you squint. So you filter out some of the light by just by squinting, but because there is darkness associated with an eclipse, um, you don't squint, and so all of the light is going into your eye. Um, okay, so I need see. to actually protect my eyes to see the eclipse. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I was hoping I could get out of that. What do I need to do? Right, because it seems like sunglasses aren't enough. What do I actually need to do? Right, it they're not. It it's. Like I just got some um, some glasses from my um, friend that I'm gonna try and sell at work <laughs> because uh, <laughs> she she got them for her students. She's a teacher. Um, she got them for her students to um, watch it, but um, she just got word that um, the administration, I guess it was, said that they didn't think that it was good for anyone to be going outside. So she's like, I just bought these for this purpose. Like I had asked about this. So I've got them. I'm going to sell them at work. So yeah, I understand why people think like, it's not a good idea to take kids to see the eclipse because it's too many people to manage at once to make sure they don't injure themselves. But it's a bummer for teachers. Yeah, I remember someone real. in the pub saying, like, oh, well, we're pulling our kids out that day. Which, if I was a teacher, which I was at one point, I would be like, yeah, that's that's totally, I get it. <laughs> like, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so this says here, um, yeah, UV protection of regular sunglasses isn't enough. Um, let's see here. So it says you need the industrial screen protection of number 14 welders, goggles, or even better eclipse glasses that are especially made for viewing eclipses. Um, <sighs> this seems like a lot of hassle for me to go through. Well, here's an option, too. So, like, when you have the option to actually Google something, um, a simple projector consisting of two pieces of cardboard, one with a pinhole, also allows you to view the eclipse safely, if not in great, great detail. Lame. That, I think that's probably what my coworker made. Um, I'd rather just so, get the glasses. Yeah. I don't want to mirror all that shit. I would say, I mean, um, yeah, like Google where you can find them in in Chicago. Yeah, I'll look. I'm in the suburbs. There's got to be like a hardware store nearby. It's more yeah. that I hate double glassesing because my favorite thing about my sunglasses is that they are prescription. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. so I'll have to double goggle it. Um, oh, yeah. Which is why I don't watch 3D movies. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. That and 3D movies make me feel sick to my stomach. They, like, give me motion sickness. But, um... Yeah. They also That's... really hurt my head to, like, double the plastic theater glasses over my actual glasses. And mm-hmm. if anybody's listening thinking you should wear contacts, I can't. They make my eyes, uh... They give me eye infections. So I have like, like an eye autoimmune thing, like not autoimmune because it's contacts, but like whenever I put contacts in. Are you just like allergic to them? 
I don't think it's allergies, but basically because I wore contacts for a long time without having a problem. And then sometime when I was in college, I started having this thing where, like, whenever I would wear contacts, the inside of my eyelids would, like, get a rash. Yeah, mine did that, too. And because of that, they would get these, like, hard little bumps, and those Uh would then scratch my eye. Uh-huh. And so after that was happening, I, my doctor was told me, like, no contacts for a month, use these steroid drops, and then after that, we're going to put you on the contacts that you throw away every day because that should fix it. Yeah. And it, it did not living. fix it. Yeah. And I think it's partially because, like, I have a little bit of astigmatism, but not enough to get weighted contacts, so my contacts are just, like, a little <sighs> loose at the top. Oh. Um, and they moved. But yeah, it's okay. I'm kind of a glasses person anyway. I feel like they're good for yeah. my face. Um, it works. (laughs) Yeah. So now like I'll wear contacts occasionally. Like when do I wear contacts? Like if I really want to not be seen with my like clear and blue glasses on or Mm -hmm. like sometimes if I'm going to a weight room for the first time, I'll put contacts in so I can like find where the different machines are. Oh yeah. Um, But other than that, I don't. And I swim with like prescription goggles on. (laughs) Mm hmm. Like a real nerd. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Anyway. So I'll have to get some welder's goggles or something that'll go over it. Yeah. Or see if you can find somewhere that's selling them. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure. My friend got these online, so I don't know about where a local, like a local store or something would. I bet Amazon will be my friend. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, check Amazon and see. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, so let's get into the unraveling. Yes. Okay, for our unraveling today, we have Jamie Lee Finch with us. Hi, Jamie. Hi, guys. How's it going? So good. I'm excited to get to talk to you finally. Very. Me too. I'm really happy to be here. Um, we con- we got in contact over Twitter, which is one of my favorite things to do, um, mm-hmm. because I believe you listened to our episode with Hillary McBride, maybe? Yes, that was and definitely what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, then tweeted at us about um, your interview on The Life After, which I've been listening to. Haley and I both have been listening mm-hmm. to. Which yeah, is it was so good. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So um, I heard your story in there. I knew that we needed to have you on. And yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess really tell us a little bit about yourself, how you grew up, um, what your religious background is, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Cool. Well, um, the way I grew up was pretty standard evangelical Christian. Um, the specificity of my branch was Southern Baptist. Um, so you had a pretty, (coughs) excuse me, a pretty hefty amount of Calvinism happening there. Uh, pretty hefty amount of original sin, um, talking points and ideas of eternal conscious punishment and all the things that cause, Um, in my opinion now, rational thinkers, a whole lot of anxiety and stress. So Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. had a whole lot of anxiety and stress growing up in that environment. Um, and it's interesting because I don't think that, I don't think that that was something that I outwardly displayed 
or outwardly communicated because I was under the impression that because this is what the doctrine I was being raised with, I was under the impression that something was wrong with me for not just being okay with the doctrine. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when belonging comes into that as well, where you have to, in order to belong and to feel safe and all of those things that I now know are happening inside of someone's subconscious, um, mm-hmm. I definitely wasn't willing to entertain the doubts and the questions and the fears and the anxieties that came out of the scrupulosity as much as I could have or maybe should have. But, um, yeah, I was raised with a whole lot of fear-based ideas and fear-based doctrine. And I do remember being a child and laying awake at night and having my parents come in to talk to me before I'd go to sleep and having them retell and retell and retell the story of heaven and hell and God and Jesus and the devil. And almost every night, honestly, it was almost every night because I feel, yeah, yeah. Every night because I would lay in bed and I would just, my brain would go and I would just be imagining as a seven-year-old. Okay. Like seven or eight years old, be imagining the experience of what it meant to be required to live forever. And same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yes. Yeah. My Whenever first I talk attack, about this, so many people say the same yeah. thing. Yeah. My first panic attack was laying in bed thinking about eternity and the fact that I did not want anything to last for yeah. that long. At yes, at exactly. All. And that's the thing is I think my parents were under the impression that I was afraid of hell. And so they would, in what they were trying to do was console me that, oh, you don't have to be worried about that, babe. You're going to the good place because Jesus. And really what it was is I was having an existential crisis as a nine-year-old over the fact that I couldn't fathom eternity and didn't want to live forever, but there was no option for me to opt out because it was either heaven or hell. And so for me, I mean, I, I see that very honestly for what it was then, but I also see that as a display of the fact that early on, I was uncomfortable with duality, just in general. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for myself, um, while maintaining that discomfort with with duality, but then also knowing that when I was seven um, and was asked all the questions about what I believed, if I wanted to go for a swim in the church's tiny pool like all my friends did and not be left out and not have people ask questions about, you know, who I was or who my parents was or who my parents were or what they were teaching me, I knew I had to say yes to things that I internally, even at that age, had an inner compass for wanting to say no to. Um, And that, to be very blunt and honest, set me up for the next 20 years of my life to just keep saying yes. Um, But for the next 20 years, I was kind of trying to prove myself into that yes, that initial yes, was trying to, um, I was chasing a lot of feelings. I was moving in and out of different expressions. <clears throat> in order to try and find the moment when it would actually feel true um, until I, you know, we'll probably get there in a conversation until I finally just kind of like gave up the fight and was like, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore because I've known for a long time that this isn't right for me. It's not my expression of relationship towards the universe or towards the divine or towards other people or towards myself. So I'm just going to go. But it took me a long time to get there for all of the reasons that I'm sure you both and everyone listening understand about what it means to be raised inside of a fundamentalist environment. So now can I ask you before you go on, like you're saying, like, I knew I wanted to answer no to these questions, but then I didn't. And so eventually I let go. I, I think what I wonder often when talking to people about that kind of like deconstruction process is like, I, for a long time thought, I don't, 
I don't want any of these things that I have believed or not any, I don't want this huge chunk of beliefs that I have always believed to be true, mm. but I've always been taught that they are the only truth. So I guess I have to believe them, even though it just seems like it sucks. Like, I guess I have to go to heaven, which sounds boring and eternal yes. and awful, <laughs> and but this is the truth. So this is just what yeah. I have to do. And yeah. so I guess, how did you get to the, how did you get from, I don't want this to be true, but I guess I have to, but it is, this is true, even though I don't want it to be to, I can just let this or not just let this go, but I can start to let this go. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a brilliant question because I love my answer and so many people are going to hate it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) the answer to your question is permission for pleasure. Um, how that manifests itself with me specifically and in my my trajectory and my story and now in my work with what I do with my clients and the work that I want to continue doing in the future. Um, the entry into that is permission for um, sexual pleasure and permission for being able to engage with yourself and with other, other individuals, other human beings sexually, um, which is very counter to fundamentalist upbringing. Yes. Um, but the, the thing just about that, what basically what you're seeing, yeah, just, just a tiny little smidge, especially being embodied in, in, a, in a female presenting body, especially. Yeah. Um, so the nature of the question that you're actually asking is like, how do you go from really what I'm hearing you saying is how do you go from restriction to permission? And really what's happening in that experience when you're raised the way that we were raised is that, um, because you, you hit on something really important there, which is kind of the, what, what your subconscious is doing with the idea of duty, Mm -hmm. which is, I Mm -hmm. don't have the permission or the allowance or access to, um, number one, be connected with my intuition or number two, be connected with what I like or what I want, because I just have to show up and assimilate and do what's required of me. Mm. So not only are you receiving a message, which we'll get to, but not only are you receiving the message that like sexual pleasure and sexual experience of yourself and another individual sexually, um, outside of the context of a heterosexual marriage is incorrect and immoral and you know sinful and the worst of all possible sins, um, not only are you receiving that message, but that lodges and, and then begins to speak to all forms of pleasure, um, to where all types of pleasure feel unsafe and all types of pleasure feel wrong. And so that is coupled with the idea of this doesn't feel correct for me. Like for me, it was, I vividly remember being seven years old and sitting in my pastor's office and being in some form or fashion asked the question, about whether or not I believed in the idea of eternal conscious punishment. So I'm sure they didn't phrase it that way. And it was like, they're just going down a list of doctrine. And so they got to hell. And my inner compass as a child was speaking to me and saying, absolutely not. That's super fucked up. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, but because of everything we just discussed, I can't own that in that moment. So I mm-hmm. dismiss it and I surrender to duty instead of intuition. And so when you go for mm-hmm. a long period of time of surrendering to duty instead of intuition and sacrificing intuition for the sake of, um, appear for the sake of checking the right box and for having the right answer. And for the sake of duty, you disassociate from all pleasure. You disassociate from desire. You disassociate from want and you're only, you only have a relationship towards need and towards appearance and not, um, 
internal confirmation. So that process for me was, I mean, number one to really, so that's a background to answer your question, to really answer your question. My first answer is trauma. Uh, the Mm -hmm. first thing that happened to me is my life fell apart and I'm sure I know it wasn't the first time and I'm positive it won't be the last time, but it was in the specificity of, of my relationship towards fundamentalist religion is the way that my life fell apart. Okay. Because um, I discovered I had been in a cult and I left the cult. So there's all that. But yeah. um, was this what you so talked about in, on Blake's podcast? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. So everybody check out Expandelical yeah. for that full story because it is mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's wild. That was probably, I loved doing that podcast. Um, it was probably the most succinct I've ever been able to explain the entire external and internal process of that experience. Um, so yes, go to that for reference, pause now, go there, come back. But (laughs) so it was, that was where the trauma occurred and something burned down and I had to rebuild. So I was paying, paying a lot more attention to myself and also the specific nature of the trauma I had been on the receiving end of in that unhealthy and abusive environment was very, very unintuitive, was very, exactly what we're talking about. Very, you do this for the sake of duty and whatever your body tells you is wrong. Whatever your gut tells you is wrong because there is a code and you have to keep to it. So in leaving that and honestly having everything taken away and fallen apart and having no rules anymore and having no external source to check in with, to make sure I was doing everything right. Mm -hmm. I number one began to be able to validate what my personal experience had already been, which within that, within the realm of sexual pleasure, like I'm talking about my internal experience had been, even though I was raised fundamentalist evangelical and was on the receiving end of all of the James Dobson bullshit and Joshua Harris bullshit about my body and my relationship towards my sexuality, Mm Even though that's what I received, I had an intuitive knowing um, that I it was right for me to engage anyway. And so I did, and I never felt, I, and I said this in the live after podcast, I never felt shame about my behavior. I felt shame about not feeling shame about my behavior. Mm. Mm-hmm. So when I left that environment that had been traumatizing me and manipulating me, that is fundamentalism, um, I got to view my behavior through a whole new light. And got to validate it and then realize the value that it had been giving me and the value that it had been to me. And that was the beginning of restoring my relationship towards pleasure and towards the um, erotic spirit and towards the experience of the erotic, which is a whole thing within the realm of pleasure, but um, in every other way. So the erotic is basically the life force that's in you, whatever makes you feel and come alive. Mm -hmm. And when you're cut off from that in one area, you're cut off from that in all areas. And because the reason why fundamentalism is so dangerous within the realm of people being able to relate to their sexuality is that it completely severs you from your relationship towards erotic intelligence. And so that literally, I mean, I'm telling you, I was so traumatized by that experience um, and so dissociated from that experience that I couldn't even tell you what my favorite color was because I had no relationship towards pleasure. I couldn't tell you what color brought me the most pleasure. I couldn't tell you anything. I couldn't tell you my favorite food because everything I felt like all the information that I was allowed to personally have had to come from an outside source, someone telling me what I needed. So it was that, it was the value system of I was um, holding duty up higher than pleasure. Um, and so for me, the gateway was, and and what I'm realizing too, in the work that I do with a lot of people, the gateway 
is um, at least in the noticing that something's off balance is in noticing because we're grown ass fucking human beings Mm -hmm. and we have sex drives because we're supposed to, because we're creatures Mm -hmm. and that's what we do. We procreate and we're supposed to find pleasure in it. So they're, they're noticing the gateway for a lot of people, that entryway, that doorway that opens up is the feeling of my body's telling me this one thing and my belief system is telling me this other thing. I can't reconcile those two, but one I cannot turn off and the other one I really want to. So it's arguing biology and belief. Um, Mm. And luckily we're in a position now in the world and in life where you have a lot of belief that is supporting the biology, which is tight. But when it comes to fundamentalism, you still don't. So it's a really long answer to your question, but it's validating pleasure is, is how that process begins to shift and change. And for myself and for a lot of people I encounter, that comes by way of validating your um, sexual intelligence, your erotic intelligence, and your intimate intelligence. Mm. That's very interesting. Yeah, I never would have thought about it that way because I think for me, it was mostly that I didn't know anything else. Like I went to Christian schools. I -hmm. went to church. I I don't think I was raised super fundamentalist. Like conservative evangelical, but I don't think that it would go so far as like none of your intuitions are correct. Mm -hmm. But I think for Mm -hmm. me, when I started to think like hell can't be right, that seems insane Mm -hmm. to me, but like I literally never heard anything else. And so I didn't like, I think the uh, like part one maybe is like, don't trust your intuition. But the other thing was like, I don't want hell to be real, but this is like all I've ever learned. And I feel like this is like, I've always been told this is, truth like these doctrinal things and I think also because I was raised with like these are like the four doctrinal things that you need to like know and then everything else like we can disagree from person to person church to church and it's fine Mm -hmm. and so like that part of my upbringing I don't feel like was very fundamentalist um Mm -hmm. but when I started to think about like things like hell especially it was just like I I don't I don't want to believe this but is there even another option because I've always just thought that this was the truth Right. Yeah. I'm pretty similar there. I, I wasn't raised fundamentalist either. Conservative. Sure. Kind of (laughs) depending on how you, uh, categorize my family. So, uh, depends on who you ask. We're all heretics. Yeah. Depending on who you ask, depending on which region I'm in, I'm either conservative or I'm Mm -hmm. liberal. So currently because I'm in a red state, I'm pretty liberal. Um, and mm-hmm. even my parents might be too here. Um, but even still, yeah, there are the things like we, I still grew up with the, um, the thought of hell and heaven, I mean, heaven being eternal. Like I don't want anything to be eternal. I have ADHD. So like yeah. anything that is more than like two hours <laughs> long is like pulling yeah. teeth for me. So I'm it's like, the worst and it's hard to fathom. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's especially hard to fathom when it's supposed to be the be all and end all goal of yeah. existence. I'm supposed to want like, to be singing praises forever. No, yeah. no, 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 not happening. Yeah. Yeah. When mm-hmm. I was a kid, I thought heaven sounded boring. And then when I went to college mm-hmm. and I became a depressed person, yeah. I thought that heaven sounded like torture because I wanted yeah. it to be over then. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. yep. So yeah. I, I like, think I there's thinking, like a stages of grief experience that people have when they leave the idea of hell. Yeah. Like, this is how I originally related to it. This is how I then started relating to it because I experienced that too. The, it sounds really boring. It also sounds terrifying or yeah. it, it 
first it was sounds boring, and then it was I don't want anything to last that mm-hmm. long. I don't want to be required to do it. Um, for me, one of the things that popped up was it actually did sound terrifying because I was like, hold on a second. I'm zooming out here and you're trying to tell me that I'm supposed to be comforted by the fact that I get to win and go to heaven. But the dude who seems to believe that hell needs to exist in the first place mm-hmm. created it. And I'm supposed to be hanging out with him until the end of whenever. <laughs> right? That sounds awful. Right. Like I couldn't escape that idea of like, I- I'm not functioning isolated in the world. Mm-hmm. Like there are other people that I meet and know and love that you're apparently telling me aren't going to be there with me. And I'm mm-hmm. somehow either a supposed to be cool with that right now or B eventually when I get to heaven, I'm just going to be cool with it. Mm-hmm. So I right. don't, like, how is that going to be fine? Because how am I not going to be pissed at this guy forever? Yeah, does it, because right. my best friend in elementary school is apparently burning a lake of fire. Right. Why the hell? First, there's so many things that like, first of all, why does she deserve that? There, right. There's just so many places to go with that. Yeah. And the bottom line is, well, you're supposed to be really happy that you're hanging out with the divine forever. And I'm like, the divine sounds like a masochist. That sounds horrible. I think he might be a sociopath. (laughs) I don't want to be there. So much for a good, good father. Right. It's just right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I also was like, I don't want to be with myself forever. I do. Like, I think I was telling you, like my first panic (laughs) attack was about infinity. Yeah. And I remember I was in, I was in college and I was taking this class called Elementary Foundations of Math, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone. But we had talked in class that day about the fact that there are different kinds of infinity and there is countable Ooh. infinity and there is uncountable yes. infinity and you can prove different types oh of infinity. Oh, my God. Don't be what a math What did that major. do to your brain? What okay, did that do so to your brain? so this was like the night that I had my first panic attack. I was like laying in bed. I was wow. thinking about I've learned about countable infinity and uncountable infinity. This is causing me both an existential, like, what are all these numbers crisis plus a theological one. I'm at a Southern Baptist college, so I'm not going to go storming into my professor's office and asking why the fuck there are so many infinities when they all sound awful. But (laughs) Why do we need more than one? They're horrible. We don't need more than one. They all sound bad. Why is there an uncountable infinity that's different than a countable infinity? And I just was laying in bed, and I lived in on-campus apartment, so there were three people in my bedroom. Um, and so I was like, just laying in bed, like, uh, what is happening? And I think for the next like six months, I didn't sleep more than three hours a night. I would just lay in my bed and watch Saturday Night Live all night long (laughs) with headphones in because my roommates were in the same room. You were on a steady diet of coping mechanisms, basically. (laughs) Yeah. It's really great that Netflix streaming came out while I was in college and I would just like... (laughs) Yeah, watch SNL and Parks and Rec and just, like, lay in bed and not sleep mm-hmm. ever. And just because yep. every time I tried to, like, turn off noise and fall asleep, I would just start panicking about, like, heaven and yeah. infinity and numbers. I used to have dreams that I was being buried by giant numbers. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> That's because I was a math major and school was hard. I, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> but no, it was I, I see that. I see yeah. that, how that would happen from your subconscious. Damn. <laughs> Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, um, Jamie, you've talked about your work that you're doing now. And, um, of course my computer decides to tell me I have an update right now. So I'm going <laughs> to snooze that. Okay. It's very nerdy. <laughs> uh, so Jamie, you said that you, uh, you mentioned your work that you're doing now. Mm-hmm. So what, what is that work that you're doing now? What led you to that? Mm-hmm. Wow. So, oh, there's so many different ways 
I can define it, and it kind of just depends on my audience, and I kind of read the room of who's comfortable with how weird I get. So oh, go full <laughs> weird, feeling good. full weird, feeling yeah. real good about it. So um, the technical, the actual technical title for who I am and what I do and the certification that I have, apart from, you know, being certified by way of trauma, um, is that I am an integrative health coach. So I, I'm a certified integrative health coach. Um, I received that certification from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition a couple of years ago. Um, but the nature of the type of coaching I do now is very different than the type that I was doing when I first started out. And a lot of that the, the differentiation between that original type and the way that I do it now, a lot of that has to do with the, the integration work that I've done in by way of really good therapy and then also going back to school last mm-hmm. year um, and being able to more in-depth study and explore the suspicions and ideas that I had had um, in a lot of my experience and the experience of the people that I was already working with and meeting. So um, that's the technical way to describe it. The better way, more accurate way, um, that it feels most true is that I am a relationship therapist between human beings and their own bodies. Mm. Um, I used to say between women and their own bodies, but I have male clients now, which is the greatest thing ever. I know it's so great. So, um, yeah, it's, that's super exciting to me. I cannot tell you how honoring it feels to have someone, to have the masculine energy, come to be educated by the feminine energy. It is so healing. It's so fucking healing. And it's such an honor for them to see that the wisdom, the very specific wisdom that I have that the patriarchy has taught people for a very long time doesn't have value. It's such an honor to see men come to me and say, that has such value that I'm literally going to pay you money for you to teach me about it. It's so tight. (laughs) I know. It's so so fucking tight. Oh, it's so good. And I'm like, I'm keep getting more, um, men wanting to schedule consultations, mm-hmm. which is so cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So relationship therapists between humans and their own bodies and how that manifests itself. Um, this last year I studied a whole lot of stuff. I studied, um, most, most in depth. I studied a lot of narrative medicine, um, as a, as a healing technique, storytelling as a healing modata- modality. Mm-hmm. And I also studied um, people who practice energetic medicine. Um, And so uh, I've recognized and I've realized that in a sense, um, I, I, I do a form of energetic medicine, intuitive healing and narrative medicine and health coaching and relationship therapy, all of that kind of melded into one. Um, Before I started doing this, I had seen glimpses of what I'm doing in other people, but I'd never really seen the full expression of it. And that was really, that's what kept me from doing it for a long time. Um, is because I didn't, A, I didn't know how to describe it. I still clearly, obviously don't, if we were in an elevator, you would have left by now. So like, I still have work to do on this, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a pitches of, are hard. They are hard. And in some sense, they're kind of shitty. I kind of don't like them because I don't think any human person or the work they feel that they're, they're passionate about or important to them can or should be summed up in like a minute and a half. I think that's kind of gross. Like why not just take someone out for a drink? That seems easier. But so well, I guess the elevator yeah. pitch is to get to the drink, to get to the drink. Yeah. So that's, so in some sense, I guess maybe I have kind of have it if I'm like, Hey, relationship therapist between humans and their own bodies. And they're like, Oh, well, tell me more. And then, then you hook them. So, um, yeah, but in, honestly, I, 
so I, I, it was, it was the life after podcast that I took. So I was, I was taking coaches or I was taking clients as a health coach for, in the way that I had been taught in that kind of method, um, for about two years. And then I took a whole year off from it when I went back to school. Mm. Cause I really felt like there was more for me to learn. I kept hitting these walls, not hitting walls, but kept feeling the desire to go to deeper places with my former, with the clients I'd had previously. And, um, I didn't really know what I was doing yet, and I had a lot of questions. And so going back to school was to explore a lot of those questions. Um, I attend a really progressive university that allows you to to explore all those areas. Um, so took a year off, kind of burned everything down, and then rebuilt it, and rebuilt it in the way that felt most true and accurate to not only the way I'd been taught, but my own personal lived and felt experience of dealing with things like body dissociation, disordered eating, sexual dysfunction, and chronic illness. And how those, all of those not only relate to one another, but how they all relate to the trauma that people, individuals have experienced from um, religious trauma syndrome and being raised in a fundamentalist environment that dissociates them and disconnects them from themselves. So, um, yeah, so I, I did the Life After podcast with those pals and started receiving inquiries from people, um, about, cause honestly, to be totally honest with you, when I was talking about my work in that podcast, I was more referring to my academic work and the hypothetical of this thing I wanted to build one day mm-hmm. from my academic work and my experience. And then I just started getting people contacting me and I, I was building an airplane as it was taking off. And then I was like, okay, I guess, uh, yep, I guess we're ready. And my body honestly was just like, girl, you are ready. Awesome. You're ready. What are you waiting for? You're ready. So jumped back in, um, and started taking clients in this way that, Basically, what we're doing is I'm working with them so that they can redevelop and reestablish a fluency in speaking to themselves and to their own bodies so that whatever's popping up for them, whether it's um, compulsive behavior like disordered eating or it's some sort of sexual disconnect, sexual dysfunction that's happening with them, whether it's autonomous or expressed with a partner um, or multiple partners, if they're feeling some sort of breakdown there, um, that's an area that we can talk through and deal with and sort through. and chronic illness as well. Um, my thesis next year that I'll be writing will be on the link between religious and cultural sexual suppression and autoimmune disease, specifically in women. Um, so all these different areas that we're dealing with that basically, for, from my perspective, deals with the breakdown in communication from our sense of self and from our embodied wisdom, um, from, our, from our intuition, from our gut sense of, of this is right, this is wrong for you, this is correct, this is what I need, this is what I want, this is, brings me pleasure, this is off limits, this doesn't feel safe, all of that. So in some, in a very real sense, when I'm working with my clients, um, a lot of what I'm doing is just creating space and releasing permission. But there is an element where that relationship therapy part kicks in, where I really do not know how to explain this to you, but I can hear people's bodies talk to me. Um, when I'm talking to someone and they're in that space room or having a session with one of my clients, um, and they're expressing to me their uh, I guess a good way to describe it would be their mental, their mental and emotional experience of a situation. Um, when they're talking to me, I'm listening. I really don't know how to describe it very well yet, but I'm listening for what their body is telling my body about what their body's experience actually was in that situation. So let's Mm. say like a hypothetical example of, um, a client telling me, Hey, this thing happened to me when I was four years old, but it didn't really affect me 
that much or they'll just throw in something out. Like, I don't really remember. Or they're saying, I don't really remember it. It was a good, they're not really a clicked into the awareness of like, it doesn't affect me, but they're saying, I don't really right. remember it. I can, in that moment, I can actually kind of sense or hear or receive, um, what their body, what on a cellular level, the memory that they are storing, which will, you know, offers an insight into the, the issues that they're coming to me about or the behavior that they're coming to me about that they're hitting blocks on. I'm sensing what their body's actually saying about it. And it's not, even necessarily general statements all the time. Sometimes it's very specific. Sometimes it's very, I know I do remember that I did feel that. And this is actually the message I received from that situation. So what I'll do in that moment is I will repeat it back to my client. I'll repeat it back to that person as if I'm a relationship therapist and they and their body are sitting on a couch across from me in a chair, two separate entities just somehow missing each other in communication. Mm. They're practically speaking a different language. So when I'm hearing their body communicate to me about something and I'm sensing that from them intuitively, I will repeat it back to them and ask them to check within themselves on a gut level, um, check in their bodies, not mentally, whether or not what I just said feels true or it feels inaccurate. Because we all in some on some level, no matter how dissociated or traumatized we are, we have a sense of, oh, that feels true or that does not feel true. So um, usually if it doesn't feel true, they'll just be able to tell me like, I don't really, that doesn't really resonate. I don't really think that's it. And so I'm like, okay, cool. And then we just kind of work through it there. Usually if it doesn't end up feeling true, they just burst into tears um, <laughs> because it, it really is something that they, cause I'm not really doing anything magic there other than like telling them what they already knew. They mm -hmm. already knew it. They just didn't feel the permission to validate that knowing that they already had and to get on the same page in successful, healthy communication with their deepest sense of self. Um, for whatever reason, there's a lot of reasons, but usually it's some sort of trauma taught them that they don't have access to that place within themselves. Um, so that, that's one element of it. There's a whole, we pull from some narrative medicine techniques. There's some specific practices and meditations. There's some resources that I give to people in doing that work with them. Um, and it's very, very hyper individualized for every single person. Um, clearly, cause it has to be, um, yeah. yeah, that's kind of the nature of it. That's interesting. I was thinking when you were talking about like, whatever trauma it is that causes you to dissociate from yourself or kind of like we were talking about earlier, regard your feelings as not indicative of truth. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about one thing that I think is hard. And I've talked to my mom about this because she is a, an educator um, by profession and she's taught elementary school and high school. And we were talking about like when you're a kid and you don't understand anything other than black and white thinking, I think mm. theology can really mind fuck you. Yes. Like, yes. like if you think about it, because like I said, I don't think I was raised that fundamentalist, but when you read parts of the new Testament, especially the parts written by Paul that are essentially like, you know, we persevere through all these things that are like either physical or mental because they don't really matter because what matters is the spiritual. Right. I'm yep. paraphrasing Paul very badly, but that's what you get when you're a kid That's and it, what you teach, get. Yes. it can mm -hmm. teach you that your emotions are in no way indicative of what truth mm -hmm. is. Even yeah. if like, like, like I said, I've been able to talk to my, my mom about some of this stuff lately, especially because she taught teenagers for so long. Um, 
that it's very weird to feel that way and not really know where it came from, but somehow like inherently know that your feelings aren't indicative of truth and therefore are to be dismissed. Yes. Which I think probably in some way must stem from being so young and reading those kinds of stories that you are just not really ready to approach with any kind of grayscale thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. And that is the, honestly, what you just expressed really, really well, that plants the seed of dissociation. It plants this because I mean, I mean, I don't know about you guys saying that you weren't raised super fundamentalist, so I don't know what the level of um, language you were hearing, but the way I was raised, um, with it, cause I went to a Christian school as well. And I was, you know, raised in, in Southern Baptist church and evangelical non-denominational church, and then a Mark Driscoll type for a little while there too. And Oof, kind of the whole gamut. Enough. Yeah, no, Oof. yeah. I jumped around. Um, and then right after the Mark Driscoll thing, I like went head first into like the charismatic cult. It was real weird. I don't, it, it was a lot. I was I'm just entirely raised feeling. in Southern Bible churches. So like Okay. All of my pastors my whole life went to DTS because Southwestern was where the weird Baptist preachers went. Uh-huh. I'm from Dallas. Yeah. I actually toured that uh, oh. campus like years ago when yeah. I was, and then I only applied to Moody Bible Institute and I was turned down and that was probably one of the better things that ever happened to me. Uh, right. Yeah. So there you go. Um, I uh, started Church of Christ. My mom was raised in the Church of Christ and um, and that was until I was about seven. Mm-hmm. And then we found the Nazarene church, which is Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, about halfway between Methodist and the Wesleyan, like the actual Wesleyan church. So okay. Methodist is the United Methodist is the, like the more liberal arm. Yeah. Of I was about Wesleyan's to say Methodists and, are super tight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then the Wesleyan church is the more conservative and the Nazarenes are kind of in the middle where depending on the actual congregation that you're at, mm-hmm. you could be anywhere from like Methodist liberal to yeah. Wesleyan conservative. Yeah. So, so there's a bit more autonomy in the expression. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so you can tell me then you can both tell me uh, like what your relationship was towards or what your environment that you were raised in, what that environment's relationship was toward language of the body, because that's mm-hmm. a lot of what, um, I'm, I'm, talking about when I talk about the fundamentalism is mm-hmm. essentially basically the way I was raised speaking to that and the way that a lot of people have communicated to me and the messages they received and the way they were raised was anything relating to body or flesh or any type of language that causes you to think of or associate with your physical body was synonymous with sin. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely dangerous because Haley, what you were just talking about if like you always elevate spirit over flesh, right? Because Mm -hmm. the spirit is the source of righteousness. Flesh is the source of sin. Well, what that does is it causes you to elevate again, back to the idea of duty, because where are you getting the, the, the protocol for spirit for the protocol for how to behave appropriately according to your spirit? Well, you're getting it from this outside source from the rules that you've been handed and anything that ever comes up that is body centric, that is intuitive. And that does include that absolutely does include the fact that when you are an adolescent teenager, you have a sex drive because you are a fucking adolescent teenager. So that's one of, but there's a whole vast spectrum of things, but basically, and that's why it all ends up being lumped together. And that's why we were talking about what we were talking about, about pleasure is Mm -hmm. it ends up being this thing where, and you can speak to your specific experiences of, um, 
what you're taught is that anything related to your bodily experience of living and moving and engaging in the world needs to be checked and probably sacrificed for the sake of something larger that probably feels less true because mm-hmm. you are required to assimilate to the um, rhetoric of righteousness and the rhetoric of like mm-hmm. keeping in check with your spirit because mm-hmm. that's the thing that needs to be refined and you need to leave the body behind. So that was very much my experience in my church and in my school culture um, both being fundamentalist Christian. So I don't know how that expressed itself for you. That sounds about right for me. I think okay. for me, it was kind of a mix. So yeah, well, part of, part of it is I'm younger than Becky. So I had more internet when I was a teenager for sure. Oh, tight. Oh my I God. I'm probably, yeah. I'm probably a little <laughs> bit younger little. than you also. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at my school, I had this really weird school experience where I went to a Christian school but I went to something called a university model school. So it was started as a homeschool co-op. And so like you could pick and choose what classes you took because a lot of kids were still homeschooled for the rest. And we didn't have Bible classes and we didn't have chapel and we only went to school three days a week. But it was for sure a Christian school. So like I know because my mom was a teacher there that like at in-service they'd be like, now remember like how are you going to talk about God in the classroom today? And my mom was like, well, in biology, I can do that. But when I go teach geometry, like I got shit to do on a limited time schedule. So by the way, your mom sounds so tight. (laughs) She didn't use the word shit. I want to make that clear, but my mom is very tight. Mom, if you listen, if you're listening to this, because now you found my Twitter feed, um, (laughs) I do actually think you're fairly tight. Hi mom. I think you're tight too. (laughs) Um, but, uh, Yeah, so that's the kind of school I went to, and we didn't have that kind of stuff. Um, But I think in church, more of what I learned was definitely sex is bad. And definitely if you have sex, Mm -hmm. it will – I think I was taught – again, I was not raised in the Joshua Harris era. So I graduated from high school in 2010. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot less Joshua Harris Mm -hmm. business by then because I think that book was written in like 97. I think so. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, when Becky was in high school, right? That was, yeah. <laughs> Becky's like, Ding. I remember it. So we yeah. have a, actually so a varying I, degrees oh, of relationship I towards Joshua Harris. clearly remember it. Yeah. There yes. was one mm-hmm. crew of kids at my school that were definitely in the I Kiss Dating Goodbye club. They all went to a different church than I did, and they all oh were boy. like, we don't date, we court, et cetera. Wow. That was my entire school. Oh, I had was... the boyfriend, the boyfriend, I use heavy quotations <laughs> that I had my senior year. We had to date secretly because he, yeah. And I, yeah. Uh, because he wasn't allowed to date. He was only, he could only court. And because we were in high school, we clearly were not ready to marry one another. Cause that's right. absurd. So that's the whole thing is like, it was very black and white, very either or. So we, we weren't technically allowed to hang out with one another at all. So we just sneak around at night. And the worst it ever was, we would literally just sit in his car and listen to music. We weren't doing anything weird. Yeah. But you still would <laughs> we just wanted to hang out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think what I learned more was definitely sex is bad, but like, I didn't learn the ice case dating goodbye stuff. What I learned more was like, not you are damaged forever if you have sex, but more like you are making that's an emotional decision you shouldn't make or it's Mm. just better for you and biology backs us up if you only have sex with one person oh yeah right that is so interesting well i would argue it's still better than like you're a used piece of gum well it's funny because you said it's so funny that you just said that because my initial 
propensity was to say the same thing that you just did and be like, oh, that sounds better. But then I had an immediate gut check and I was like, no, that's just disguised more cleverly. That's yeah. still mm-hmm. extremely mm-hmm. invalidating. And in some sense, maybe harder to leave behind mm-hmm. because yeah. now they're using like pseudoscience and appealing to sort of facts based. Right. Like they would use people, the word oxytocin. Oh, and- Jesus fucking Christ. Oh God. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, yeah, but I guarantee you they never taught any, they did not show any woman any, they didn't teach about the female anatomy. I promise you they oh, didn't. God, so they'll no. show no, no, of course no. not. Yeah. But so, like, my you mom can't, was my anatomy teacher, like, so I did learn about oh. the female biology in anatomy class. Oh, God, class. your mom is so cool. Once again, <laughs> thanks, Mom. <laughs> wow, Mom, you're doing so great. Yeah, she was my yeah, biology so and right. anatomy teacher that and my a... college advisor. I went to a small school. And college advisor? Yeah, I went God. to a small school. She was busy. Yes. yes look very. Wow. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I don't know. That's complicated for me. That's super complicated because I just, cause while you were talking, I had this kind of sense of, I was seeing it laid out and I was like, oh man. So we're kind of on a spectrum here that could maybe speak towards, um, health in the progression of things. Cause mm-hmm. Becky, you were like, you were right in the era of, you know, don't date, don't even date, don't do any of it. Mm-hmm. I was kind of in For that real. middle space where people were beginning. I had a youth pastor, um, who to his credit, like he was in such disagreeance with the, I kiss dating goodbye that he literally did a sermon series in youth group that was entitled, I kiss dating. And I liked it, <laughs> which was really cute. Um, yeah. So kind of coming out of that, the pushback. And then what I was hearing you say, like initially felt like, Oh, well now we're kind of leaving it all behind, but we're still, I just still don't understand why we can't talk about humans being humans and educate people about the importance of relating to themselves and other people in the very normal way that is sexually. I don't understand yeah. why we have to say there's an ideal. It's re- it's really problematic right. for me to say that there's an ideal of engagement because there really isn't. And that is, um, I don't know. Setting that standard is still really difficult for me to like engage with. So I don't know, maybe it's a sign of we're moving in that direction and maybe I just need to validate it for the positivity that it could be. I just am still not a huge fan of teaching, teaching people, teaching girls or, or boys teaching or, or anyone on the gender spectrum, teaching anyone that saying that like, there is an ideal way of uh-huh. doing, expressing your sexuality mm-hmm. and behaving right. outside of that ideal leads to specific consequences. I, I, yeah. That's hard for me. I think that's true. Yeah, and it feels to me in the same vein as saying there's an ideal body type or an ideal yes. way to be in the world, uh, especially as a woman, as a woman or a man, um, like, there's an ideal beauty or ideal mm. handsomeness or, and yeah. that's just not that's a true. Very yeah. That's solid a good comparison. Yeah, Cause I was very solid. Yeah. Because I was thinking it's, as you said that, like, because oh, I think that people who would attempt to push back on that would want to have a conversation with you about health. And that's mm-hmm. very inappropriate mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. actually not even the conversation you're trying to have in the first fucking place is we're mm-hmm. not, we're not, yes, these two things can, re- can relate to one another, but, um, mm-hmm. what's that, that expression, um, correlation doesn't mean causality. Like it, 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 yeah. it doesn't mean that one begets the other. That just means that they hang out with one another nearby. Didn't yeah. you lose Haley? We did, oh, but no. uh, maybe she'll be back in here. So, um, well, we're getting pretty close to your time anyway. <laughs> well, she still hasn't um, said anything to me yet. So. Oh, okay. 
Well, let's see if we can get Haley back, back in here. In. Make sure that tech's set. Yeah, the tech's set to her, so I'm just kind of waiting. We're good until I okay. hear from her. So. Good deal. Well, this conversation has been fire anyway, so. Yeah. I'm <laughs> loving this. Um, well, we can continue until. Um, so... I guess I could give you some background on me. So both of my sisters um, slept with their husbands before they got married. Mm -hmm. And that was a big scandal in my family. Mm -hmm. Um, And my, so I remember my older sister, so my younger sister got married first. Um, Mm -hmm. She was pregnant when she got married. um, And that, you know, the family's like, whoo, that's kind of crazy. But she got married when she was uh, 19 and her husband was 18. And they're still together, um, wow. let's see, uh, 13 years later. Wow. Um, yeah. They book all of the trends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's even more. Oh, I love that. Um, and then my older sister, like, when she was, uh, I think my, my younger sister's sin was that she wasn't shameful about it. My older yeah. sister had the, had the good sense to be shameful about sleeping with her boyfriend at the time. Um, and then to fix it I say by getting that, married. <laughs> yeah, I say that. Yeah, exactly. I say that now as having the good sense because I don't think that that's true at all. Mm-hmm. That's just, you know, how it's perceived. Um, but I remember clearly my when I found out um, about my older sister, she... <laughs> She didn't tell me. Like, I heard it from my dad. Um, And when I talked to her about it, she said, well, I didn't want to say anything to you because you were driving. And, like, we were in the car together. And she didn't (laughs) say anything to me because she thought that I was going to get mad and, like, crash Crash the car car? or something. Like, do you Uh, know me? Okay, but but, but, what that's actually saying, oh, God, this is my whole thing. Is like what that's... Because she was on the receiving end of the message that the most important thing about her was whether or not she has, which I won't even use the fucking word virginity because it's an imaginary I thing. Know. But like, I know. Yeah, yes. it's imaginary. So like, but what she's been taught, what she's been told and what she's been taught, what she's telling you in that moment is I'm so afraid of devastating you because the most important thing about me as a human female individual is whether or not I have had sex outside of the confines of a heterosexual marriage. That's the problem. Like that's what she's actually saying to you in that moment. And so when you're telling me that story, it's like, Oh my God, that's absurd. And your relationship towards that story in that moment too is Holy shit. Did you really think I was actually going to crash my car? That's not a big deal. But the shame that all of us, in some sense, wherever we are on that kind of spectrum of shame, are carrying into those experiences in being afraid to be vulnerable and being afraid to be seen and heard by the people that we love when we're talking about our engagement with ourselves sexually is what we don't know that we're saying is, I hope that you don't find me to be completely ruined now because my experience of myself is that I'm afraid that maybe I might be completely ruined now. That's the psychological damage. That's Mm -hmm. the manipulation that I have a deep, deep fucking problem with. That's Mm -hmm. what's so problematic to me. And that's why I have... I mean, I don't know. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. So like I have very hard boundaries. So it's like, yeah, I'm not cool. Ask if you knew what you were on the Enneagram. Oh yeah. I, yep. Haley and I are both fives. Oh, you're my people. Oh God. I love yes, fives and I totally. love ones and everyone else is fine too. But like you guys are my people. So that's oh, yeah. the thing. Like Hopefully. I, I just, I have no, 
I have no grace for it. I have no understanding for it. I have no space for it. I just, I have no tolerance for it at all. I have no tolerance for any kind of, um, rhetoric that does not release full permission to women and of course implied men too and anyone else on the gender spectrum. But I don't, but because women are on such a specific receiving end of purity culture rhetoric, I don't have oh, yeah. any permission for any form of rhetoric that isn't the full, it isn't full permission that isn't, mm-hmm. Hey, you're a human being and this is what it means to be a human being. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, that's, uh, uh, problematic for me. Well, and the other thing is that she told me, so she said that goes along with this too. Um, so when we were talking about this, she said, well, what does that say about me that I like, what does that, (sighs) no, she said, it, it, so it goes along with this. She said, well, if I don't marry him, what does that say about me? And, And at that time, even though I was still in that same mindset of, okay, so she just fucked up. Um, like that's not what you're supposed to do, but I didn't, I didn't have any less opinion of her. Um, but, and at that point I still had the presence of mind to say, it doesn't say anything about you. Yes. It says nothing about you. Mm Um, and, um, because there's so much more to you. There's so much to you that this is, it's not even that this is a, small I, because sexuality is oh hi welcome back Haley. sorry uh, my internet stopped is, working so i'm on my phone now oh cool okay well hi cool. Did it. because sexuality is so important and that's the really strange thing about fundamentalism is that it almost elevates by telling women that the most important thing to protect about themselves the most important part of their identity is to preserve their again heavy quotation marks, the social contract of virginity to preserve that about themselves by telling women that that's the most important thing that they could ever possibly do. And literally creating fucking conferences that are centered entirely around that idea. You are actually elevating human sexuality to a level that is like, it's, it's inappropriate because it just should be normal. It just should be as normal as every other part of the rest of us. But by it's, it's that idea of, um, the restriction idea. So where it's like Uh you tell a kid that they can't have whatever, like the, whatever in the cookie jar, like the cookies in the jar. And then they're suddenly hyper, hyper interested in what's in the jar. And that's all that they can think about. That's all they can focus on. It's kind of that idea. So it's, it's, uh, it's failing at its own goal. And that's what I don't yes. think that purity culture, it, I mean, part of me is like, I mean, my part of the reason why I feel like I'm alive is to do what I can while I'm alive to burn it the fuck down. But part of me is kind of like, uh-huh. that's not really a lot of work to do because it's just going to self-destruct on its own mm-hmm. because it can't, it can't, it can't be sustained because everything that it's telling human beings about who they are is so completely mm-hmm. imbalanced that it's just, mm-hmm. it's going to topple on its own. Then all I have to do is just light the match. So I just need to be vigilant and watch for when that happens and do what I can to make sure it falls more quickly than slowly. But I, I just, I don't, and yet there's still this like really insane amount of circular logic that exists inside of it that props mm-hmm. itself up. But that that's kind of why I'm saying and talking in circles right now about the fact that it is, <laughs> it can't, it can't sustain itself. It can't sustain itself. It's, it's absolutely yeah. impossible because we all know that it's not based in any real factual information about human biology mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the way that human beings relate to one another. It's not. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. 
Awesome. Oh my goodness, this conversation has been amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this has been fun. You guys are great. Um, yeah, I did get a text from my client about her being ready, so I do need. Okay, to awesome. Yeah. Well, how if people want to um, follow you online or possibly even um, contact you about being a client, how would they do that? Yes. So um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at. Jamie Lee Finch, so just at Jamie Lee Finch, J-A-M-I-E-L-E-E, just like Jamie Lee Curtis, last name Finch, like the bird uh-huh. or the band or Atticus, any of those, take your pick. So Jamie <laughs> Finch. Oh, I love you that you just referenced Atticus. Atticus, Finch. yeah, okay, I'm still uh, that was who one the of my nicknames Finch in high school. Oh, girl, oh, okay, do either. yourself a favor, <laughs> after this, go look up what it is to burn. That's all. Just awesome. go look it up. I was oh, really proud yes. of myself when I found them in high school because they had my name. And then I was also really into it because it's like very, very pop punk, very emo. So that was Sweet. my jam. Um, <laughs> so anyone can find me on any of those outlets. Um, and you can message me either on Twitter or on Facebook. I have a page for my poetry. I'm a poet as well. So you can message me on there or my private Facebook page or Instagram, or if you just want to reach out via email, um, my contact email for my work is I am, and then my full name, I am Jamie Lee Finch at gmail.com. Um, yeah. And we can just schedule. I do take clients remote. I do do work with clients remotely. Um, even the ones here in Nashville, so many of them are musicians. So I'm Mm. often doing sessions with them remote as well. Um, so that's something I'm really comfortable with. So definitely by all means, if anything that we talked about here is resonating with anyone out there and they're feeling like they want to pursue some healing or talk to someone about what their experience has been, all of my consultations are free. So just get in touch with me and we can schedule something. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jamie. We will um, let you get to your clients. Cool. <laughs> and thanks for chatting with us. This has been great. Yes, I love <laughs> this. This is awesome. Thank you so much, ladies. Okay, so feedback time. Yeah. Let's see here what we got. So we have, um, so I talked the last episode saying that we have a Patreon account now and we were having some trouble figuring out why it wasn't searchable and I figured that out. Oh, really? um, Today. So it is now searchable. I checked um, to make sure. So yay. Um, You could also go to the link that we posted on our Twitter um, too, but... You can search Twisted Sisters um, if you go to Patreon and you will find us. Um, but we have four patrons already. Yay! Um, so our very first patron is Jesse Ziegler, who's one of our um, our sisters from the pub. Um, and then our very second is Eric Flynn McCormick. Nice. And Thanks, the very Eric. third is Annette Jennings. Aww. And um, fourth is Jennifer Flynn McCormick. So Annette got got in there right before Jen uh, Jen did, or else Jen and Eric would have been right beside each other. But yeah, so thank you all for being our patrons on Patreon. Um, If you would like to support us um, and what we're doing, go to patreon.com slash twisted sisters and you can support us for one dollar, five dollar, whatever amount you want um, per month, and there are various uh, rewards for each of those levels. Um, so, let's see. We will go into some feedback here. Um, we have 
some new reviews, some new five-star reviews Yay. up here. Um, I saw two the other day, but I'll check and see again, see if we have any more than that. Um, mm -hmm. Yep, we have two. So we have awesome. a review from Jess Z, who happens to be our first Patreon's, uh, patron, too. Um, Jesse slash Jess, I think you said in the pub this week that you're going by Jess more now. Uh, Thank you so much for all of your awesome support. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I've actually got to meet her in, in person when I was in Iowa. Um, I of course know. you have. You've met of all have. of the pastors. people. I have met, well, I've met like a quarter. So, um, <laughs> not even that, but yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> it says, um, a lot of me too going on. She said, ah, these women have my heart. Grateful to hear their perspectives and me too along with them as we navigate this strange time and place in history. Also, thanks to the sisters, I answered the pub altar call. My life may never be the same. Aw, yay. That's the uh, pub evangelist that makes my heart um, really happy. So. Yeah, Becky is the pub evangelist, and don't anybody try to fight her on that title because yeah. Twitter was an ugly place today. Yeah, don't don't try to take my title. No, I hey, um, Mindy has been evangelizing, and she was one of my converts. So if she can pass it along, I'm happy. Um, uh, How did you meet Mindy without the pub? I met Mindy. So Mindy was um, watching one of the. Uh, the pastor's live on Facebook. Um, I think it was like episode 40, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and I had mentioned something about the brownies that they had, the guys had there that April had made. And they were just sitting there like in the middle of the, of the table. And they're just talking along. Like they weren't eating those ones. They'd already tried some. I said, send those to OKC stat. And Mindy said, I'm in OKC too. Like she commented on it. And so oh, that's nice. how we, so we started talking and I said, you need to join the pub. <laughs> so that is awesome. Within a week she did. Yeah. I haven't gotten anyone in the pub. Maybe my mom will join now that she's like actually paying attention to my Twitter feed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Haley's mom needs to join the pub. <laughs> Hi, you mom. sound awesome. Um, she is pretty cool. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> um, okay. So one other five-star review we have from She Sees Far. And I believe this is Val Valerie. Uh, I'm totally going to mess, mess up your last name. It's O-H-L-E, Oli, Ol, something. She's um, been... She's the one who got the um, network, the podcast network um, idea started. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice, Valerie. Um, and so the title is "Never Let, Nevertheless, They Teach," um, and ah, says, I love it. I know, right? Uh, I decided oh to God. explore Christian and theological podcasters as an escape from all the trauma and drama that has inundated social media. So I tweeted out the three podcasters I knew and asked for others. I knew Twisted Sisters was out there, but I hadn't heard their cast. Then they put Caitlin Curtis on, someone I follow on Twitter, and, well, I'm hooked. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's relevant. It's real. Thanks, ladies. I'll be back. Uh, oh, my God. Yay. You're so awesome, too, Valerie. Like, I mean, I know you were, um, like, completely shell-shocked that your one tweet caused, like, a, 
like a firestorm of awesomeness, but um, we're thankful <laughs> that you just that you tweeted that out. Sometimes things just happen, like you don't even expect <laughs> them, and they just happen. So, yay! We're glad to have you on board. Yes. Um. So into Twitter feedback. Um. We, we got um some more feedback on the um the body shaming episode that we had with Jen and um, Diana. Um, since we recorded that, um, like we recorded last week's episode on Thursday night. So we didn't have time to like, we've gotten some more stuff in since then. So, um, Christina Z also tweeted out, she tweeted out a thread about her experience that was similar to Jen's experience of, um, working out and losing weight and getting sicker than she was before. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's a full thread there. Um, and you can check it. We did retweet the first um, uh, tweet in that thread. It was, um, I guess, by the time this plays, it'll be about a week and a half ago. Um, but she said, at Twisted Sisters and at, at Polly named Jen, I had the same weight loss experience where I ended up worse than I started. I lost 75 pounds with diet and exercise, became super obsessed, and even counted individual peanuts and tortilla chips when we ate out. Which is crazy. Um, yeah, especially in Oklahoma, man. You gotta uh, counting tortilla chips is making literally every day of your life a living hell. If you live in in, well, I'm from Texas. Yeah. Well, Christine here. If is I tried here to count OKC, every tortilla yeah. chips, fuck that. Yeah, for real. She said I pushed myself into a manic phase and would become super agitated if something threw off my exercise schedule. People told me how great I looked, that I was getting my body back. It made me wonder if I'd really been that ugly before. I ended up breaking my wrist and developing plantar fasciitis while exercising. My gallbladder quit working and had to be removed. My entire digestive system quit working and my doctor put me on such a restrictive diet, I had a psychological breakdown. All the medications to treat all the different problems resulted in gaining all the weight back plus 30 pounds. I can't help wonder if things would have been different if I'd exercised for fun, not dieted, loved my body the way it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved that thread. I was thinking about that when I when I saw it because I, I wasn't on that episode. But mm -hmm. um, I think exercising for my entire life has been such a battle. And I'm a very short person. And I feel like any pound I gain looks like seven pounds yeah. because of how short I am. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, this is again, a very long story, but I had leg surgery that led to me being on crutches for 11 months. Mm -hmm. And that's when I finally started working out again. I had always hated working out, but I did it anyway. And I fucking hated it. And I started swimming again when I couldn't walk. Mm -hmm. And I have loved every minute of that. Like I love swimming. I love my teammates. I love being on a swim team again, which I hadn't been since right before I started high school. Mm -hmm. Um, but it does, it feels so different working out because I want to right? versus working out because I wanted to be skinnier. Um, and don't get me wrong. I still spend like 80% of my brain space wishing I was thinner. Right. Um, but I feel so much better when I'm working out now because like I love swimming or even when I go in on my off days to lift, like I am lifting specifically because I want to get faster. Yeah. Yeah. Not because I want to be thinner mm -hmm. and it feels so different. Mm -hmm. it, it feels, 
I don't even understand how to explain the difference, but it feels completely opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, I've spent most of my life hating everything about my body. And now like, now that I've been swimming more and making it a conscious decision instead of like the thing I did when I was a kid because my brother did it and I wanted to be more like my brother. Yeah. Um, making that conscious decision, like I get in the water on practice days and it just feels so good immediately. Um, even though I am absolutely not the fastest person in the world. And I think especially when I was still on crutches, but then I could get in the water and still swim every stroke and still be, you know, decent at it. It just made me feel like a person again. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's like always new, new goals to set Mm -hmm. and to, to meet, which I can't run anymore. Um, ever since my, I mean, I, I shouldn't have been in the first place that ever since my last leg surgery, it's like not even an option. Um, cause I, ha- I have a bone condition that I'm missing a bunch of bones and my legs are always different lengths and I've had one lengthened now to be the same length, but running's not a thing that I can really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like having a sport that I like and I, like, it just feels so different exercising because I want to and not really dieting. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to exercising, that doing exercise I hate because I wanted to lose weight and eating what I hated because I wanted to lose weight. Mm-hmm. It just, I felt awful. And now I feel more self-confident that I have in a long time, even though I don't think I weigh any less. Mm-hmm. And I thought like listening to your episode just felt great. Yeah. Cathartic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. For me, when it comes to like dieting, I, have come to a place where I can feel how my body is feeling. And if I am not feeling well, I'll not eat crap. (laughs) And if I'm feeling okay, then I'll eat whatever I want. Um, and it's just, it's a balance. It's like, for me, it's just being able to listen to my body. And I mean, I get that goes along probably really well with what Jamie was talking about, about like, actually listening to your body and believing what you're feeling and believing what your body is telling you. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So if I, um, if I'm feeling like I've had too much sugar and I'm just like feeling sick or feeling like in a sugar rush and I'll clean it up for a while. And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like vegetables and meat and vegetables and I'll be better after a while. So, yeah. Yeah, I think tomorrow at about 6 o'clock in the morning, because of when we're recording this, Mm -hmm. my body is going to tell me to drink less alcohol right before I have swim practice. It probably will. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if anybody listening has ever been hung over while in a swimming pool. Oh, I can imagine. Trying to do sprints. Horrible. But, I've only been hung over once. Tomorrow my body's going to tell me to drink less. What's that? I've only been hung over once, and I can't imagine. (laughs) (laughs) that was in january after the pastor's 50th live episode (laughs) i heard becky was spectacularly drunk yeah not planning on doing that again (laughs) this january so i realized this week that i won't be able to go to the hundredth live episode i'll be in a wedding i'm like the maid of honor in a wedding in texas that's the same day yeah you have to do that 
It's my my best friend growing up. We've been friends for twenty one years. Absolutely, yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. So yeah. Okay, so um also back to Twitter. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so <laughs> Callie is gonna she like she probably can't wait to come back because she's the one who Callie's keeps us gonna on track. murder me. She's gonna yeah, she's gonna murder me. <laughs> so <laughs> um we're about the same size, so it's okay. Um <laughs> anyway, uh Sandra and Turnbull. Um she tweeted at Twisted Sisters, realize hashtag I say we too. Mostly I love my goddess belly and having size twelve feet keeps me out of debt because gosh, shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you can't find many shoes in your size, definitely. Um she's yeah. she also said, um, Mom opted out of needing any hashtag mom disclaimer when I was fifteen, but being a hashtag grown ass adult took a lot longer than that. For sure. Reaching back to the purity app. Yeah. She, um, she's catching up on some episodes now that she wasn't, uh, um, that she didn't have time to listen to for a while. I think she's been working on some deadlines. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, Valerie, uh, Oli, Ol, the, at she sees far, the one who gave us, uh, uh, five star review. Um, she um, replied to. Um, well, she actually retweeted our tweet of the um, episode with Caitlin Curtis. Um, she said, connected with that Twisted Sisters recently, connected with that Caitlin Curtis a while back. This is going to be good. I just know it. And then um, Caitlin said, I can't wait for you to hear it. Let me know your thoughts. And Valerie said, I thought it was spot on. It reminded me of the day my Muskogee Creek friend told me to read the Bible with my native eyes. Thank you. That mm. is awesome. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> and that was our longest episode to date. Um, and I, we had a little bit of back and forth about yeah. that. And I hashtagged, um, hashtag, uh, sorry, Kelly. And she replied back. She said, dude, yeah. I leave for five minutes <laughs> because she, uh, yeah, she was, she's the one who keeps us on track. She really is. <laughs> so, Kelly, um, if you're listening, I want to personally apologize. I feel like you might be thinking right now, I've made a terrible choice about <laughs> replacements <laughs> and you're right. I am hashtag the worst. Uh, <laughs> But I'm very sorry, and I'll be glad when you come back, just as much as you'll be glad when you come back, and I can't derail this bullshit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Monda, it's not just you. It's it's Haley and me, too. <laughs> so, um, uh, Eric Lynn McCormick at Polly Named Eric. Um, actually, with the sister, it's a great episode. New Michael did good. Odd that Amanda said white people need to expose themselves. Hashtag IDGA <laughs> fuck about tannins. <laughs> uh, uh, Zach Crater at Zach Crater said, at Twisted Sisters, whatever face at Hales Noel was making when at Polly NMD Amanda described the gin and whiskey devilry was a face I was making. Mm-hmm. And he hashtag IDGA fuck about tannins. Hashtag know your spirits. Hashtag gross. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh so I stand by that face. Mhm. 
Okay, let's see. Then there was a bunch of talk. We had a question about like how often we, um, or how far out we schedule our guests. Oh, I didn't see that one. Yeah, it was uh, Cindy Brandt, who was a guest. Oh, um, yeah, back, yeah, yeah, a while yeah. Back. She, she's doing some like Facebook Live stuff um, with guests, and so she was wanting she. Um, tagged a bunch of podcasts that she knows, um, asking how far out we schedule. Um, we did a midweek episode, um, about, um, Charlottesville and OKC, Mm -hmm. um, both having, um, uh, issues with white supremacy (laughs) this Mm -hmm. past week. Um, and, or I guess by the time this comes out, like, almost a week and a half, um, with my friend Holly, uh, Huto, who's here in town. Um, so check that out too. Mm-hmm. We did keep it short and sweet that one time. Yeah. And when we say short, we mean <laughs> under an hour. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, 30 minutes for us, 15 for Amanda. Cause she wasn't there. Yeah. No, it was. We good. all showed a lot of restraint. I think, I, I think so too. Yeah. Because I had a lot more to say about white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which could all be summed up as hashtag fuck all you assholes. Exactly. I know, for real. <laughs> um, Holly tweeted, uh, damn Hills Noel with some serious fire on this episode. Say it louder for the kids in the back. <laughs> clap, clap, well, nice meeting you. She, she's fun. I, I love Holly. She yeah. is fun. I don't remember any of said fire. Yeah. I I almost never remember what I say on the podcast. I was drinking a stout, so... Yeah. I remember nothing but the coma I went into afterwards. So, yeah, definitely. And that's about what we've got on Twitter. So, let's move into hashtags. What you got? Yeah. Well, once again, I forgot to do hashtags during the actual interview segment Mm -hmm. because... I still have not mastered interviewing while writing down things of note. Mm-hmm. Um, but from our like intro and outro, I have Becky is two sheets to the wind <laughs> and hashtag I was in theater dot dot dot. <laughs> and that's all I have. Okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and again, Becky pulling up the rear here um, with the hashtags. Becky has all the hashtags. Becky has all the hashtags. Um, so, Hashtag Becky has all the hashtags. There you go. That could be going. Hashtag tears of an angel. Hashtag water of life. Um, hashtag someone handed me a bottle. Uh, hashtag a podcast that is not our podcast. <laughs> hashtag carefully curated playlist <laughs> hashtag internet angel uh, uh, like a real nerd <laughs> uh, hefty amount of Calvinism oh yeah whole lot of anxiety and stress you're going to the good place <laughs> uh, because Jesus <laughs> Uh, hashtag I'm not going to do this anymore Uh, heaven sounds boring Uh, so many people are going to hate my answer (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, disassociate from want. Mm. Something burned down. Shame about not feeling shame. We are grown ass humans. <laughs> Different kinds of infinity. Okay, so this one might be my favorite. Three people in my bedroom. Was that when my internet wasn't working? No, that was you. That was you uh, talking about your oh, right. Christian college where there were three people in your bedroom. <laughs> Listen, to people who are wondering what the fuck is happening, our on-campus housing was super expensive. And so we had two-bedroom apartments that we would put five people in because wow. they were yeah. real expensive. And mm-hmm. so I lived in a room where three people lived. Mm-hmm. Um. Steady diet of coping mechanisms. Mm. Certified by way of trauma. So fucking healing. (laughs) (laughs) Elevator pitches are shitty. Girl, you are ready. Uh, Paraphrasing Paul badly. (laughs) I got shit to do. And we weren't doing anything weird. <laughs> there are so many good ones from today. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I like, I stopped taking hashtags because I'm like, there's just so many good already. <laughs> now I'm trying to ru- read the things that I wrote while you were talking. And as it turns out, my handwriting is shit. Um, uh, I, I, of course, like we are grown ass humans. Yeah. I like so fucking healing and steady diet diet of coping mechanisms. Yeah. Um, and I like you're going to the good place because it reminds me of the show, the good place, um, Mm -hmm. which has some great twists about going to quote unquote heaven that I think have some good room for discussion. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, so those are the ones I like the most. What about you? Um, I definitely like, um, I like So Fucking Healing. Uh-huh. Um, I like We're Grown Us Humans. I like Something Burned Down, too. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see here. Grown Us Humans. I like three people in my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) I think so fucking healing is the shortest one that we had in common. Yeah. Yeah. That's two. (laughs) That's two um, episodes in a row that we have fuck in the hashtag, but I'm okay. Guys, it's my, you're welcome for me appearing on this podcast for the month. Yeah. When I, at the end of August, everybody's going to be like, can we get Haley the fuck out of this place with her swear words? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i think we're gonna go with that so um Perfect. If you've listened to this whole episode um and it was an amazing one too hit us up on twitter at twisted sisters with hashtag so fucking healing um and i'm at becky seville and i am at hails noel h-a-l-e-s-n-o-e-l-l-e um, also, don't forget to uh, subscribe 
um, to us on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or whatever, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and we'll read it here on our episode. Also, um, so if you like what we're doing, support us on patreon.com slash twistedsisters. Uh, and, uh, check out the Inglorious Pastors too. They had a, a good interview with Jay Baker, um, this week. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't checked out the episode last week with, um, Laura Beth Taylor, you definitely need to because she's super amazing. Yes, um, yes, yes. So, yeah. And Amanda is going to, she wasn't on the rest of this episode, but she is going to have a cultural input for us. Yay, Amanda! <laughs> For today's cultural input, a psalm or poem of sorts by Christopher Marshall, one of our friends in the Pastorates pub. They fly flags, symbolic hatred nestled in fear, hate and fear manifested in red, white, and black. They fly flags, nationalist symbols of dead nations and dead kings, empty ideologies, a void filled with wrath and misguided masculinity. They fly flags, symbolizing an ideology worth less than the chaff that falls to the threshing floor. Like the chaff, this ideology will be tossed away. They fly flags, yet they will be scorched by an east wind. Their flags will burn, the yoke too burdensome will be broken, the captives will be freed, those who have been torn will be mended, those struck down shall be lifted up. They fly flags, but I hope, I hope the way of those who love will prevail, and the way of this wickedness shall perish. Thank you.